The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Visit us now on Egbeth Road or call 203 1268. It doesn't get better than this. The Anfield Wrap City Talk 105.9. Back in saddle with John Gibbons opposite me. Also got Mike Nevin and Rob Gutman. It's a lovely evening in Liverpool. Mildly drizzly and all that. I don't know why I've started doing the weather, John. I have started doing the weather though at the start of each of these. Like they don't know. Like they're sitting there going, oh, Ayako's got the weather on, has he? I'm not, I'm not sure about this weather. I no, wasn't ready for it. Let's, well, you, I'm sure, sure you weren't. You weren't ready for the weather. Um, John Gibbons is tanned like a national guitar. Um, all right. In part one, we're going to be discussing the transfer window. In part two we're going to be discussing the latest bit of the police being out of control and deeming themselves above answering questions with Sheila Coleman uh, and in part three we're going to be discussing Liverpool's visit to Stoke City uh, but part one as I say is going to be about the transfer window it's 10 days old and nothing is happening but before that we're going to do the opening question and that comes from uh, Grumpasaurus Rex um, not his real name presumably <laughs> um, although if it is then Mr and Mrs Rex had a bit of a panic attack when it came to going to the birth certificate office um, his opening question was if you could travel back in time to any game before you were born which game would it be and he said non-LFC in question marks and I thought well let's ask for a Liverpool one and a non-Liverpool one so first and foremost uh, Rob Gutman if you could travel back in time to watch any Liverpool game what would you watch Okay, before you were born before I was born yeah which is far too long ago it's misty as a, as a, as a consummate time traveller my first one going back to 1893 to Liverpool's first game at Anfield. You'd be very tall comparatively. Yes, I'd be a giant amongst pygmies. <laughs> it's 1893. We did Lincoln 4-0. My research shows me. I just want to wear the clobber, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get ready for that. I just I want weeks to prepare. I want to get it right. I want to get the cane. I want the tash to grow just so. You've, got, you've got the tash. And the, and the beard. It's on the move. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. My other one is... Um, 1953, if it's the non-Liverpool one, yeah. it's, it's Ferenc Pushkas. Is, uh, well, that was what Grumpasaurus went for as well. That was what he really? said. He said that's ah. the one he'd have gone for, so I think that's an interesting I, It's synergy. an interesting Cold War game. It's three years before the Hungarian uprising, and I think he put out a statement of Hungarian independence as well as trashing in the myth of the supremacy of English, fo- supremacy of English football. 6-3 Hungary at Wembley Stadium before 105,000 people. Excellent. That's Fact a very... Fans. I like that one a great, uh, a great deal. John, uh, what's your Liverpool one first and foremost? Liverpool one is Liverpool winning the FA Cup for the first time, 1965 against Leeds. I bet that was a great day out. I bet they had a great time. Imagine the coach. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> the train, however it was. It was probably the train, wasn't it? Or maybe both. Both. I think the people took, took as many means of transport as possible yeah. to get down there. I bet that was a great day. And I'm going to get as drunk as the guy who got on the pitch and was still waving as well. <laughs> <laughs> probably, on, probably on some sort of drink that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, so, 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 something with, uh, with far too many syllables and that you know you've drank once you've drank it. Uh, leaves you much heavier. What's your non-LFC one? Well, I mean, the hungry one would have been great just, just for how shock everyone must have been in the crowd watching it going what on earth is going on um, that's a really good one I think I'm just going to go for a bit of a cop out and to go Brazil 1970 in the final it must have been a joy to watch indeed indeed okay Mike Nevin what's your LFC answer we were born then by the way Mike yeah um, I'm, I'm going to go for a bit of a weird one I'm going to one where we got beat um, just because I've always had this feeling that if, if it wasn't at a match and we lost if I'd have been there the result might have been different what, what would you um, have done well I don't know but it's just it just 
you know, it, it's the way things happen, isn't it? This it's, is, this it's, is it's, it's about butterfly it's a, wing effect thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah this is it. You know, it, it's altering the stars, all that. You know, the, your presence, all that. My vocal support, obviously. Um, so this, would, this is a remarkable and unprecedented display of egotism. No, um, you must have heard this before. People blame themselves if you don't if you don't watch it on telly. You get beat. Oh, it's my definitely always going to be different if you haven't been there. Is this a thing? Okay, go on then, Mike. So the game's the '66 Cup Winners' Cup final, and also I just want to know what went on. We lost two one, didn't we, against Dortmund? Yes. It's the the one that we didn't complete in the European set we've got all of the rest of them it absolutely lashed down um, it's just a game that really really interests me and I'd love to have been there I love, I love the idea of and I was thinking about this when I was thinking about this question I'd like to have known what went on I think this is <laughs> no seriously because there's, so there's so many of these games that are shrouded certainly the ones that were abroad yeah. in that period where really you can't be sure. I mean, no one's, Milan there's, there's 65 no is the other one. Yes, yeah, Milan a, a, away, away, yeah, as away, opposed. Away. I mean, it's easy to say St. Etienne, you know, go to Wembley, whatever. Um, so my one's uh, 66 at Hampden Park. And the uh, the non-Liverpool one, it's the 1950 World Cup final. But it wasn't actually the final, was it? It was the final pool game when Uruguay beat Brazil in front of 200,000 at the, uh, the Maracanã. So uh, that, I, I, that's outstanding, that one, isn't it? <laughs> that I, I, really I'd, is. wa- I'd want to be there just for the silence when when <laughs> when Uruguay got the winner. Imagine the, the, the sound of the net on yeah. the third. Oh, uh, I've got to get. I was actually at a game before I was born. Can I say this? Yes, go on. My mum was pregnant with me at the 1966 World Cup final. Right? Jeez. I kid you not. <laughs> I, I, when that happened, about July 66, and I'm born January 67, and my mum got a bit faint and had to be put into the hands of the ambulance people, and my dad let her go and watched the rest of the game. I'm very, very impressed with Mr. Gutman there. Go. How That's many games has your mum been to? That's the one. I thought I, was, I knew it was going to be, you know, such a glory hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays she gets slaughtered on the internet. Well, yes, shameless glory hunter is my dad who went to the 66 World Cup final and been to about two games ever since. That's it. Okay, okay. He didn't really get a taste for it. No, not really. <laughs> it bored him, frankly. He was saying to people things like, Win the World Cup at this one? No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's Crystal Palace versus Leighton Orient. All oh, right then. Um, all right, my two, my two. I'm going with. I'll do my non-Liverpool one first. My non-Liverpool one is the seventh of March, 1973. Ajax Amsterdam four, Bayern Munich nil. Uh, when uh, it was voted by Lequeep, I remember reading about this as the best ever European game. Um, Ajax won, went on to win the European Cup that season. Bayern went on to win the next three. It's fair to say these were two good sides. Yeah. Uh, that one of them was significantly better than the other. Cruyff scored a w- scored in the 89th minute, and the Bayern side included the Bayern side that got beaten four nil included Beckenbauer, Meyer, Breitner, Honus, and Muller. So how good will that Ajax team? Is the first thing I, I, that's Muller's what I'd like to see. the greatest player of all time. He's always good, isn't he, Muller? Indeed, whichever even one today. of them is. Even it's, today. It gets passed around. Yeah. Uh, and my Liverpool one is uh, Liverpool 5, Arsenal 0, uh, 18th of April, 1964. Shankly's first title. That's the day they clinched it. Uh, Ian Callaghan missed a penalty on the 62nd minute. At 5-0, was anyone bothered? I don't think they were. <laughs> I, um, didn't, I didn't even know that. And it would have been great to just be in the cop next to uh, Stan Bordner, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that would have been a belter. So that was, that was my choice. Okay, we're going to crack on now. We're going to talk about the window. Um, we messed about a bit, didn't we, Rob, on the transfer window special? We did mess about. That was the, the aim of the ANT Prize. But what was interesting was how both groups effectively seemingly agreed as to the sort of players that were required. What do Liverpool actually need out of this window, Rob Gutman? I think there was a sort of consensus, and Sean Rodgers kept banging the drum on this one in the podcast we did, about a right winger, a right-sided forward, whether he's whether he's left or right-footed, somebody we're going to play on the right. That seems to be a universal, and a central midfield lad who can put himself about a bit. Those seem to be the generics. Everyone's got a case for another centre-forward, 
I was banging a drum for Berbatov. A left back wouldn't be bad, but a right-sided forward and a central midfield player seem to be the the must-two halves of this window. Uh, John Gibbons, would you agree that they're the must-two halves? A centre midfield player and a right-sided forward. I wouldn't say it's a must-have. No, I think personally we can get away with it in centre midfield until the summer if we want to, and I imagine that we will. I don't think we'll buy a centre midfielder, and I wouldn't be too concerned with that. I would like one more there eventually, especially if we're going to be playing well, as we hope European football next year. But I don't think it's a must-have. I think we need another forward. I think I'd like him to be versatile, just because I don't think we're completely set on what formation we're playing yet, and you know we might be doing different things and we've seen when we've changed formation certain players Sterling for example who sort of don't fit anymore and I don't think we can spend a reasonable amount of money on someone who then doesn't fit when we when we when we slightly change the formation to see what we have available so I think I think a verse we need we need another attacking player I think we've looked we've looked a little bit short and for example, Moses, it hasn't really happened for. And so if if there is an injury or, or two, then we, we do look very short there. So I think that's what we really need. Others, I think, are nice to have. Um, Mike Nevin, then, do you insist that we need another forward player? And do you think the centre midfield is optional? Uh, no. Um, I sort of broadly agree with the whole idea of another attacking player and another um, sort of, you know, a decent central midfielder. I think the preference is for the central midfielder. Um, because I think that's where we've been most exposed in, in, in sort of key defeats this season. That, for me, is the obvious weakness in the side. It also gives you the chance to potentially rotate Lucas and Gerard as well, who will probably play the defensive midfield positions um, for the rest of the season. So that's my number one priority. Um, but I do Even also... with Alan playing so much better? Yeah. I, I, can, he I, not, can he not do that? Well, he, he can, but he can't. I mean, he's not currently available, is he, uh, for, for starters? I know that's not going to be long-term, but... I do, I do think that in terms of an actual sort of destructive midfielder, I think Joe Allen's been fantastic in terms of changing the way that we've been able to operate in midfield through extra legs and extra mobility. Um, but I do think we're still lacking in terms of someone who can actually um, sort of break up the opposition play. I don't know whether Joe Allen's actually that person. I think he, he's basically the facilitator for us to play a slightly different uh, system in midfield. I, I, I think... It's, do you know what? It's actually a combination of all our views that may be the truth here. I think if everyone's fit, we have a lot of good attacking options. You can put Sturridge, mm. Suarez, an on-form Coutinho and Sterling. That's that's very good. If they're fit, if anyone's injured, we desperately need somebody else. But even at our perfect 11, I think our midfield three, however much we were all energised by the performance of Allen and Henderson and Lucas at White Hart Lane, we I felt at City where we were superb, there were times we were just bouncing off their midfield. Mm. There was just a man, men against boys thing. And I think if you could, if you could, if you and against, two wishes, and against Chelsea, Rob, against as well. Chelsea, I think you could have two wishes. Everyone fit for the rest of the season. Who would you improve? I would then go for the central midfielder. If I was just going with, uh, you know, let's go with the vagaries of fitness, then I think I'd go with the attacker. Uh, the uh, interesting thing about this is that we mentioned the city, we mentioned Chelsea. Are we not thinking about their bringing a solution for a problem that's already passed? There's conceivably one, maybe two more. Two, so there's definitely going to be two more weekends uh, where Liverpool are going to play a midweek game and uh, and uh, a weekend game, Mike. So there's going to be only two more of them from now until the end of the season. Uh, agree, only two uh, agreed. More. And one of the re- one of the big issues with Chelsea was that they were able to change five. Six, if you count Lewis, we couldn't really change anybody. But that's only going to happen now, conceivably, twice more. Now, there could be an FA Cup replay or something that could step in. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, it's looking like it's only going to happen twice more in the league. But what I'm thinking, really, is the specifics of the of both games against City and Chelsea and where Rob um, suggests that we were sort of physically challenged in, in both of those games. 
Um, there's, although the, the matches against the top sides are going to be at Anfield in the remaining half of the season, there's still going to be uh, six or seven potentially very combative fixtures in which we could do with someone who's just got a little bit more muscle, a little bit more mobility. Um, or those two things combined that I think we currently lack. I don't think I don't think Gerard offers us that um, because of his his gradual regression in terms of overall fitness and mobility. And I don't think Lucas always offers us uh, offers us um, certainly the mobility, if not the if not the destructiveness. But I don't think Brendan Rodgers has ever shown any interest in that. In that sort of well, the sort of player who can only do that, who can only kind of take it away. If you if you look at Liverpool, we haven't been linked with any. You look at Swansea, didn't have any. And, and presumably, if you go back, you know, further than that, John, someone who's purely a destroyer, a Suzuko, for example. And then you so you get into the ten- Fernando and Mvia. We've been linked with who are not purely, but but they're very much destroyers and physical destroyers. We have been linked to them. Whether they're true links, I don't know. I, I think the Mvia thing is just mainly because he turned up at Goodison, isn't it? The Fernando one. Well, I'd be surprised if, if he went for someone who just did that I think he'd be if he if he wanted if a physical presence would have to be you know very comfortable on the ball and be able to play how he wants and then you're talking about well, a, a very expensive player well, this is what I was about to drive at really this is the, the most interesting thing about this window is and this isn't just about us I love a good trend it doesn't seem easy or obvious for anyone I think it's fair to that everyone who's around us in this league would love to add this window bar maybe Manchester City and no one thus far has done so it's 10 days in no one you know it doesn't feel as though anyone's got any sort of powerful links that look you know there's nothing that you're looking at which is you know you're not thinking well it's obvious Arsenal are going to get X it seems quite clear Chelsea are going to get why it seems as though a lot of these sides that we're talking about here Chelsea for instance are a good example uh, stories today that they're going to look at Rooney there's very little point Chelsea getting a stopgap centre forward Rob there's very little no. point them investing they've already got arguably two or three of them they've got Lukaku to come back and aren't we in a similar boat really because as John says the sort of midfielder that you and Mike are talking about is a 20 million plus midfielder who's also probably now integral to a side that's playing European football. So therefore, you're asking a great deal of the football club, both this one and any club that wants to sell, to get the player that you're talking about. It's very odd this, isn't it? It's very difficult. I, we're at a different level to, say, Chelsea, City, Arsenal and United to a degree. We're on our way to gaining their level. Are we? Let me give you the specific example here about the central midfield situation mm. where we've got Lucas, who's good enough to be a Brazilian international. We've got the captain of England. Yeah, we've yeah. got Joe Allen and Lucas and Jordan Henderson, who've both come in as plus fifteen million pound players, and both of whom have shown at least ninety percent of plus million fifteen million pound form, mm. and they're currently the basis of our midfield. Yeah. So that's I think we're better stocked in that area than Chelsea are at centre forward, wherein they but they could do with a centre forward, but they can't buy anyone. Really? So are we in that? We are in that same boat there. On it's, that particular level, we're in the same boat. It's, gla- it's, it's an interesting one. You're right. We don't have any glaring exposures the way they do. Chelsea need a fifteen, a fifty million pound centre forward. That's what they want. And if you're right. If they can't get him, they've got to wait. Arsenal, forty to fifty million pound centre forward. United need a thirty, forty, fifty million pound central midfield player. We're at a slightly different place. I think we've got. We've got superb couple of forwards. We've got a really good bank of central midfield players. So, to, But to improve upon them, I think we're better placed to gamble on a £15 million man. Let's put, call it that Fernando guy or Envia. And if they're not the absolute triumph, it's not a disaster for us. Whereas I think for Chelsea to go and buy a £20 million forward who just makes up the numbers, that's a real waste of money. I think we're better placed to, to, to take a bit of a punt. 
I think there's a paradox, isn't there? Because traditionally people have talked about the January window as being difficult to get the play- players in that you want. But historically, or in the recent history, Liverpool have made some key acquisitions in January. And obviously of recent times, that's Coutinho and Sturridge. And then maybe going back a bit further, Suarez. Mascherano, Suarez, the obvious one. Mm. Um, so I don't, think, I don't think you just say to yourself, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to get the, the, the fellow that we need. And I think Liverpool's problems in midfield, it's not necessarily down to individual personnel. It's the combination of, of any given three. Um, the most effective give, uh, sort of three in, 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 the last, in the most recent games has been Alan, Henderson and Lucas. That's when we've, we've appeared more mobile. But I still worry about this triumvirate of, of Gerard, Lucas and Henderson. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, for us to try and improve. And if it's a £15 million player, as Rob um, suggests there, then I think we take that gamble. And it's, it's a very important point in Liverpool's recent history. This is a chance for us to push on. This is the best opportunity for us to actually sign someone who can make a difference since uh, the same time in 2009 when we sold Robbie Keane, brought no one in and didn't have the personnel to push us on. Okay then, uh, selling people. Then who would you look to sell to move on? Has anyone got anyone in particular they'd look to move on in this window, Mike? Anybody? Um, I mean, I haven't really got any particular um, people in, in mind to move on. It would appear that Aspas has been linked to Valencia today. I think um, if he goes out on loan, then do you think about maybe bringing somebody else in on loan, or do you do you make a, a similar sort of level of gamble? And try and bring someone in across the front three well, at seven million. I don't. Th- I, I don't want to go down that r- that road anymore. If he goes out, I think. I, I think basically you try and sign someone um, that you've got your eye on. Someone like Shane. Lo- someone like Shane Long is, is a bit of a punt at about five million. I wouldn't be particularly keen on him. I'm just throwing a name into the hat there. I, do you know? What I think we haven't mentioned a position yet. If we were taking a punt, is I, I'd gamble. I don't care what it is. Four or five million on a left back on the hope that he's an R belower. Or a Finnan. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Well, on the, on I think this, we've got the, a problem in that position. Well, on this, though, I was, I, this is what I want to come on. So I want to come on to talk about loans, both loans in and loans out. I think we'd all agree Moses isn't working. I don't think that's a discussion, really. It's a mad drop-off from his first couple of games from, from last season. So there's the idea of cutting your losses there. But, Mike, you know, Sissoko, this to me seems a little bit harsh. I don't. I, th- I think the lads, the lad looks like he's a six, six, seven out of ten player. He looks, you know, he, he doesn't... I think it's very, very difficult to play in wide positions at Liverpool full stop because everybody thinks you've got to be brilliant. Mm. I think it's increasingly difficult to play full-back in the modern game because everyone's decided everyone's got to be able to do everything all the time. You know, so Sissoko there, would you look to improve on him? Because I think as a loan at the moment, he's a good example of a bit of a boring loan coming off for you, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think in the last few games, he's done all right. I I actually thought he did really well against Manchester City. He certainly got up and supported the attack well. Um, Enrique will be back at some point um, I know people, uh, Enrique's got his critics but I think he's quite strong and solid and uh, I think we'll benefit from him, from him um, being reintroduced at some point in the meantime Sissoko's a decent option Flanagan um, will be fit again soon and you know can potentially play at left back so I don't think that's a particular priority area um, for us to, to bring any anyone else in, I think I think fullback's probably the least important position in some senses, and we've got Johnson who has been in terrible form of late. Surely to God that's got to that's got to sort yes. of stop in in the next few weeks or so. He's got to play himself back into form. 
Yeah, I, I think I think we've got to bear with Glenn Johnson. He's a top top quality player, and he's he's obviously ha- I think he's been playing with an injury. I think that's obvious, um, and hopefully he'll get better with the weeks. It's interesting how Enrique is getting better with each week he's out, though. In in most people I speak to his estimation, I think John Flanagan's obviously done a stand up job. Sissoko, I differ from I think the entire universe on this. I actually think he started okay when he was being written off. He was he wasn't <clears throat> terrible. I've watched him the last few games, and I think he's just not good enough. I not good enough at what. Um, not good enough of any of the major arts. I have to say, though, I'll, I'll, I'll contradict myself and, and go round the houses on Sissoko. He's a player who AC Milan were ready to pay £14 million for, but a few years ago, and he failed um, a medical for a very obscure reason. Um, so there's possibly, a, there should be a player within there. I've not been convinced by the recent revival. In fact, it's worried me no end. I'm surprised this clamour to sort of acclimatise him now. Um, but we'll see. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready to write him off. He's no Aspas or Moses. I think it's, I think it's, dif- I, I think it's difficult, John, uh, fallback because everyone wants everything now when you talk about a fullback. It was interesting that Rob said, Rob compared and said, you know, would it be nice to see if we can get an Arbeloa at 5 million? Sissoko, whilst he's not as good as Arbeloa, is almost an Arbeloa sort of fullback in that he seems to be, he's prepared to get up and down. He doesn't have much magic about him, but he appears to have a lot of energy, a reasonable amount of strength, and he appears to do basic left-back things pretty well, uh, which is what Arbeloa was offering on the right. I think that we, you know, this is the thing at the sort of levels that we're talking about. If we're talking about 5 million, we're not going to get the complete player. No, you're not, and I don't. I don't expect us to look at fullback at all this this window. I think it'll be something that we'll we'll tackle in the summer, probably because I think we're going to sell Glenn Johnson then. But I think, I think it is it is tricky. But it, it depends on what you have because you if you've got kind of solid guys, then you want them. To, you want people who are getting forward, and you looking enviously at other teams. You've got teams, but. Lads bombing on, and you think, oh, that's tricky left we, backs. Yeah, that's what we want. And then when you actually get them, and they're a bit erratic, and they're kind of giving you a bit of a heart attack, you know, I'll bring back Arbeloa. That kind of all is forgiven. Whereas if you just swap Glenn Johnson for Arbeloa in that 08 090, we probably won the win the league. But yeah. then that's my rose tinted glasses on the fullbacks again, which I've just described. So I think it's, I think you kind of, because none of them can do everything and none of them can be everywhere, you kind of sometimes, I think, cry out for what you don't have. But I think at the moment, especially with the emergence of Flanagan, we're not too bad there. Uh, the one, the thing that I think is interesting about these loans, the loans that we've done this summer, to talk about, we we often talk only on the uh, the transfer committee, the squad management, Mike, in terms of ins. We very rarely discuss outs, mm-hmm. you know. And on the loans at the moment, Asaidi and Barini appear to be finding their feet. Um, Suso is now back in the Almeida first eleven, played a fair few games, dropped out, looked good, uh, went from there. Wisdom's getting his game regularly at Derby and is meant to be impressing hugely. I'm not going to pretend I've watched Derby. Uh, mm-hmm. Robinson's at Blackpool as well, you know. It, outwardly, at least. We're using those loans well, and and Asaidi and Barini have both contributed to goals and results against our rivals as well, which is something that's happened to us in the past. On the yeah. you know the other way around, it is good to see that at least that that's it looks like whether these players come back and make it at Liverpool or not, the value will increase of them than than it was the summer started. It looks like it's been a good move. Yeah, I think you know all the ones that you refer to there seem to be working out relatively well. Um, it's it's obviously something for the summer that though because I mean it tends to be season long loans now so it's not terribly relevant to to this time of year um, so yeah I mean personally speaking I don't like the loan system I think there's there's potential for it to be abused I think some clubs benefit or, or work better with it than others um, I don't think we've been particularly good with the with the ends necessarily you know Moses being the obvious example but you know certainly Sahin last season yeah certain, certain yeah and that was a classic example but. Um, you know the ones that you mentioned there that have gone out and appeared, and Suso particularly um, has spoken about coming back next season and a desire to do well at Liverpool as opposed to it being sort of the first step on his move back to Spain. So that's really encouraging. 
um, and people like Jack Robinson. Jack Robinson's one. Jack Robinson's the interesting one for me because you know we've, we've spoken about our weaknesses of fullback or potential weaknesses. Now I think if he if he was at Anfield now, I, I suspect that he might be getting a game. Well, I, on this on this idea of Mike's mentioned Suso there, Rob. You know this idea of it's this is the conflict of the centre managing the football club, transfer committees, managers, whoever's doing what. You know, there's got to be an eye on Suso, on Wisdom, possibly on Robinson, even on Barini and Asaidi. As we look at this window mm. now, because these are players who could come back and contribute. Some will move on, obviously players do, but you know. It, if we make certain signings now, we could block these players as and when they come back. You know, wisdom would be of use here. Mike thinks that you know um, that that Robinson would be now, but we've got a chance of real success now. And there's this constant conflict, isn't there, between trying to build the club in the long term and also what's going on right now on the pitch. Yeah, well, my 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 view, you know, I'm very, I think you have to go for it. I think you know you've got to yeah. live in the immediate. I believe that only one. How many have we listed there? Five lads. I believe only one maximum will be in the first, in the squad next season. I'm I'm mindful of it. I remember hearing a report. Man United about two three years ago. One of their financial guys was giving a uh, giving a speech to 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 uh, potential investors or shareholders, and he said he was he said year in year out we look to generate. And the figure he named was ten million pounds through selling products of our academy, effectively. And I actually think this is this is what the loan system is really about. It's not actually about producing players that we're going to bring back. I think those are one in once and not once mm. in a lifetime, once in every few years. The likelihood is that wisdom brings us. Three, four million pounds from a lower uh, premiership team who's just come up. Suso maybe as well. Who knows? We all hope they'll all play for Liverpool, but I doubt it. So, and, and, you know, as far as... The, the, I, I'm very much in, in agreement with, with Rob there. It's all about the here and the now. This this is an absolutely critical um, point in Liverpool's history. We've been, you know, sort of salivating over the prospect of getting back into the top four, getting back into the Champions League. And you can't assume that Liverpool are going to be in this position next this time next year because other teams will strengthen. The time for Liverpool to strengthen, if they're going to do that, is now. City Talk 105.9, the Anfield Wrap. Don't go anywhere after the break, Sheila Coleman. The Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. This is the Anfield Wrap, City Talk 105.9. John Gibbons has run out of the room to go and fetch Sheila Coleman. Rob Gutman's run out of the room in order to go to the toilet. Uh, but we're going to get Sheila into the room ASAP. She's had to do the rounds today and she's running up now. What we're going to be talking to her about when she gets in is that, according to Private Eye today, um, there, was a, there was an article in there which refused uh, wherein they'd approached the Metropolitan Police to ask if st- Special Branch had um, spied on the Hillsborough families and campaigners. Um, they refused to confirm or deny this, but they didn't just do that. They went further than that. They uh, released the information that could, could... They said that one of the reasons for saying no was releasing the information could form part of a jigsaw which would enable those who had engaged in criminal activity or any form of domestic extremism to identify the focus of policing activity and will prejudice national security. Um, there's two things from this, isn't the mic, before everyone comes in and settles down. This suggests that there was at least a time that, where in campaigning and having a strong views on Hillsborough led to you being considered an extremist in this country. Yeah, and, you know, happily that is no longer the case. But, um, I mean... I, this is not a surprise to me, um, and 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 this 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 is the, the crux of it really is that layer upon layer and upon layer of uh, of sort of exposure is just coming out again, and that's that's why that's why it isn't particularly a, a surprise. Um, you know, it's gone beyond the point of of us being shocked by by things that the police have have covered up, um, and in this particular uh, instance, can't really comment because they you know as you say has refused to confirm or deny, but you know there's an inference in there. That there might be something in it, but as I say, just sort of ch- going back, you know, going back to sort of twenty years, really. Um, I think people who've been involved 
I've been, I've never really sort of had, had any opinion other than the fact that, that things have been covered up. Excellent stuff. Um, domestic extremist Sheila Coleman's now joined us. Uh, nice to see you, Sheila. Um, who knew who, who knew you were going to get such a role today? It's uh, coming come nice and close. You've okay. just rushed in, so we'll give you a yeah. second. Um, it's okay. It is this. This I've just said to Mike there. Insinuated within what the Metropolitan Police have said today does suggest that those who've had those strong views on Hillsborough have been viewed by the authorities as domestic extremists. This tells us so much of exactly how they've gone about their business on all these matters and how much they've looked to shut the door on people. This is the what the establishment does. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear that this is the lens through which um, we were viewed. And, um, you know, I was asked by uh, another radio station today, was I surprised? And I went, no, are you shocked? Well, not at all, because, um, I, you know, I, I, I gathered for many years that this was going on. The issue really is what I'm surprised at today, or well, not so much surprised as disappointed, is that following on from the HIP report, uh, you know, David Cameron's apology and this promise of transparency and accountability that they still feel the need, the Metropolitan Police, to um, cast this shadow of doubt over um, who people are. Because they're protecting them. You know, I've said this lots of times before. um, When the establishment is caught out, it very quickly um, reorganises to re-establish itself and um, to to maintain that status quo um, and to maintain that power. And it was caught out by the apology um, and by the findings of the panel report. Because for years, um, people like myself, by the you know, we were called whatever names by the um, authorities. And um, people, you know, when I've said things that had happened to me personally and to other members of the uh, justice campaign, um, there was, you know, you could see that people didn't uh, believe you and others would say well why did you carry on to my mind and I've said it before that the um, a lot of the the way we were treated was to frighten us so we would yep. go away and we had to make those decisions where we're going to be frightened into submission and go away or where we're going to stay and fight and we stayed and fought and so I just assumed I worked on the basis for years that my phone was tapped I, I, I worked on the basis that people knew my movements, what I was doing. And um, those of us, particularly working on the judicial review, some of the six families back in 1993, we have no doubt whatsoever that our phones were tapped. Do you think that there's other things that, you know, there's, there's, there's other LinkedIn incidents here, isn't there? There's the disappearance of the video from the locker room at Hillsborough. There's the clicks on phones and all that sort of stuff. There's the HJC breaking going back a few years. You know, this is, this is all part of the same thing, isn't it? There undoubtedly has been. And, you know, well, here's the key question do you think this sort of activity is still ongoing well yes i do because um why would it stop now because really they've got more to lose now than ever and if they were sincere about wanting to put right um the the wrongs of the past and the cover-up then now is the time to show that transparency and accountability to wipe the slate clean so as to speak so that when the uh, inquest uh, commence and um, the the investigations are ongoing it's done so within um, a new climate of honesty cooperation um, and transparency all this does is further compound the views of people like myself that this is the society in which we live and um, I think that what is so frightening is this comes on the back of this week of the Mark Duggan verdict in the coroner's court and um, the metropolitan the role of the metropolitan police there so the metropolitan police are on the back this week and this is purely coincidental this I was only made aware of it through uh, Twitter this morning but clearly um, their PR machine's not working too 
good because this was the opportunity for them to come out of this um, looking a bit better at the end of what was a very bad week for them. This, what what, what, strikes, what struck me this week as well, I mean, it's interesting that Sheila mentions Mark Duggan there, Rob. What, what struck me this week is this... There does still appear to be this wider societal ongoing trust in the police yeah. that that they, they that that they are an authority witness. They will be deemed an authority witness, uh, regardless of, of 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 almost of of the weight of evidence at times. We weren't in the court for the Mark Duggan verdict. We don't want to get into no. the ins and outs of that. But there is this this feeling that, that yet still, despite all the wrongs that can be seen, all the questions that can be asked, not just on Hillsborough, not just on Mark Duggan, but across the board, the police still seem first and foremost to be trusted right up until the point it becomes illogical to no longer trust them. Yeah, so as Sheila said, the sins are always in the past. When, when does the time... Bad apples. When, yeah, exactly. When, where, well, even in the, in the present, there's a few bad apples that spoil the otherwise spotless image. But in the past, the sins can be enumerate. In the present, in the present, it, it is broadly seen as clean. It's, I, I was reading the stuff today, you think, in a hundred years' time, I hope we'll look back as societies, both in England and America and other parts of the world, that the national, in the interests of national security or whatever variation on that, isn't is laughed at. Did people really take that seriously in the interest of national security? You cannot be so broad as to obscure such fundamental issues in in, a, in a, an open society. It's crazy. The key, the key is, sorry, Neil, the key is that until the, the police come out and say categorically uh, that people like myself and others campaigning and families were not under surveillance, then... Um, we have that hanging over us that we are under surveillance or that we have been in the past. And I think um, another question that needs to be asked, and it's been raised before, but that link um, through how we were policed on Merseyside after the Hillsborough disaster, because we have not one, but two former senior officers of South Yorkshire Police ending up in the most senior position on Merseyside. We were policed by South Yorkshire Police for years and now the Chief Constable, the Metropolitan Police uh, Commissioner um, is, you know, uh, the former Chief Constable of Merseyside, former Inspector of South Yorkshire Police. And, and I'd kind of like to throw it out there if anyone can shed any light on the rumour that's going round today that he's tendered his resignation, um, but it's been refused. Well, they, uh, if anyone's got anything on that, get in touch. Obviously, the, the this is this is a key thing here. You know, this is the the Hogan Howe question in this is absolutely massive. The man was an inspector, as you say, at South Yorkshire Police. The man went on to be chief constable in Liverpool. The man is now the head of the Metropolitan Police. And this is where again, Sheila, you know, there's the way all of this interlinks to one another, and the fact that there's now so many of these people have now got so much to lose in terms of what's gone on. And what strikes me is that you. This is conspiracy. Right the way through, this is conspiracy. This has been conspiracy since the 15th of April, 1989. This is conspiracy. So the idea, therefore, that it's stopped, that everything's friendly now, that everything's fluffy, that there's no longer anything to fight is absolutely risable. If I was the... Um, if, if the IPCC are genuine, I know they've said it doesn't fall within their remit, but um, Operation Resolve, John Stoddart um, is actually acting as acting commissioner. That's how... It, you know the, the bureaucracy of it that is his role um if that's the case if, and if they are genuine i 
um, and I was them, I would be asking for the Metropolitan Police to come out with a statement here one way or the other because all it's doing is, is, is casting doubt over their integrity and how can people go, give statements, trust the IPCC, which has come out very bad this week following on from the Duggan verdict and the mistakes they made um, over that investigation. Where they, they act as the mouthpiece, you know, practically well, as the mouthpiece for what had gone on with false correct, information. Correct. And um, incorrect information. And, um, you know, I did a radio programme this morning um, in, from Lond- in London and um, amidst many people who um, spoke on that, the people from Inquest um, who deal mainly with deaths in custody. And, you know, when you look at the number of deaths in custody, particularly black deaths in custody and particularly in the London area, it has never gone down. It has gone up. And um, I made the point that where I live in, you know, I live in Toxteth, I live in Liverpool 8, um, Mothers have a right to fear for their young sons in particular because, once again, I feel that police are acting with impunity. And I said on the programme this morning, I said it again, um, it's it's easy to be brave with a gun. Um, some of those officers um, might need a bit of counselling to actually confront the fears because my argument is they're shooting these people because they're frightened of them. Um, society has to look at the backlash that is going to occur. And this is a chance, going back to Hillsborough, for them to put something right. Hillsborough does not exist in a vacuum. We've said before on this programme no. that the that uh, what went on at Hillsborough, what went on since Hillsborough is a national scandal. It does not exist in a vacuum. All of these issues are interlocked and interlinked. This is City Talk 105.9. This is the Anfield Wrap. Don't go anywhere. We'll do light-hearted football things in a minute. The Anfield Wrap, brought to you by High Street Solicitors, the no-win, no-fee personal injury specialists. Call us now on 203-1268. I want to mention very, very quickly before we get on to Stoke is... Um, a man called Andy, let me get the name, Andy Coles, uh, got in touch with us and um, he told us that he's a group. He's part of a group of uh, 16 men who all work at Jaguar Land Rover Halewoods and they work with a guy called Robbie Ferns, whose young lad Charlie got diagnosed with leukaemia when he was three. He beat it once, but it returned in the summer of 2012 in a more aggressive form. Um, the Anthony Nolan Trust found him a perfect match in Germany. He had the transplant in January 2013. It's been a success so far and he's back in school. Um what they're doing, they've been raising money and raising awareness. Both are always important in these matters for a while. Um, basically, they're doing a thing called, and I need to get, I need to say this right, I keep saying it wrong, Barrow for Marrow, wherein they're putting people uh, in wheelbarrows. They're going from the Etihad to Anfield on the 12th of April, which is the day we play Manchester City 2014. Um, and the last mile, they're going to have Charlie in there. Um, so basically, uh, he's... Loves football and all that sort of stuff. He's mad on Suarez and Gerard uh, when he's when he's nineteen and that he'll be annoyed he wasn't mad on Luis Alberto. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when he comes to it. <laughs> will Charlie? Um, and he's going to be in the last mile in a barrow going right the way through. So if you're interested in this, if you know anyone who'd be interested or could help uh, get some high-profile people in for the last little part of this, then you, it's uh, the Twitter feed is at Barrow for Marrow. It's Facebook Facebook.com forward slash Barrow for Marrow and the JustGiving.com is Barrow for Marrow. I've managed to say that successfully on now five occasions. I'm going to cut losses last thing as i'm going very very fast is to talk up the rider which is our music podcast which is phenomenally good uh, i would say that not because of the talking but because of the music uh, it's 2014 people get intimidated by the thought of new music understandably as they grow older 12 months ago that would have been me um but we try to give you a little digest there's no wrong answers the stuff that you'll like the stuff that you won't like it doesn't really matter you just come together and listen to it so that's the rider podcast you can find us on twitter as well uh, gentlemen the biggest game in 20 years rob gutman Stoke. Yeah, it's uh, they're our nemesis, aren't they? 
Many a Liverpool dream has, uh, has been shattered at the graveyard of the uh, Britannia Stadium in recent years. And unfortunately, it's been my mispleasure to be at most of those. Going back to Rafa, I think Roy Hodgson, we had a debacle, Kenny. They've all been grisly apart from a League Cup game. Um, the change this year, we hope, is that Mark Hughes has um, a less ergonomic approach to football. He hasn't. He's got a similarly ergonomic approach yeah, to football. I should hope. Uh, yeah. No, he hasn't. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, he's working with the tools he's got. And... and um, Big lads who like to, to, to mess about it. Brendan was very uh, vocal recently about how Liverpool went into the last Stoke game of the Britannia last season on a bit of form and and floundered. We just we just didn't compete uh, physically and I think it was and mentally as well. Mentally, I felt. yeah, we scored early. Actually, we got a Suarez pen and everyone was so jubilant about that we forgot to win the football match and um, we never recovered. I just hope with the seven days rest, which we didn't have last time, I don't want to tempt fate, that we are a bit more ready for them this time. We've got a reasonable level of fitness and, and you know, let's, let's bring it. Stoke, 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 Endless Stoke, Gruesome Orcish, Relentless Stoke, Charlie Adams, Stoke, 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 John Gibbons. What is to be done? Should Liverpool change anything? Should Liverpool go to three at the back? Should Liverpool alter an approach for Stoke? Or should Liverpool trust that the natural away game, the sort of performance they managed to throw in a Tottenham Hotspur, could see them through at Stoke? I won't go three at the back personally. I would, I would kind of look to do something similar to Tottenham off the ball, but I'm I'm half tempted to go two up top as well. I mean, obviously it depends on Sturridge and how fit he is, but I think that gives us the option of, of going long if 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 it's if it's a dogging diff- game, yeah, and if it's difficult to get through the midfield, and if they the another thing they did last year was press the absolute hell out of us, and we just couldn't get out, and they may look to do that again, and I'm not sure our midfield is yet best to, to cope with that. I don't think they're great, you know these these lads are sort of you know under intense pressure on the ball so well, you miss Alan yeah exactly so so the, so having having storage up there is allows you to hit channels allows you to go long and, and sort of to get out that way and so you know and and just having the two of them up front excites me but I don't know how fit he is uh, would you uh, presuming storage is, is reasonably close to fully fit if not necessarily completely match fit would you start him Mike Nevin I think I'd be tempted to yeah um, who would you start him at the expense of oh, um not sure um I'm, I'm sure we, we we can work work that out later on, but I, I would be tempted. We're going to win the show in two and a half minutes, well, Mike. Well, someone, someone, someone else, Coutinho, someone else. Coutinho, I'll go for Lucas. Um, that, that's an interesting shout, but um, I, I think what we need to do is we, we need to think about the way that we played against them at Anfield in the first game of the season. Albeit that it's a home game, we dominated that game. We created a lot of chances. Now, naturally, away games, home games tend to pan out slightly differently, but we've we've got to have that fresh in our mind. Um, and I think we just got to try and get at them, but I do, I do think that storage gives you that longer ball option. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't leave out Lucas though. No, I think you're right. I think uh, and John, I think taking the game to them is key. They having been at, at this ground, unfortunately, for the last few years. If, they, if it was a foreign team, you'd go. It was like Galatasaray or Fenerbahce. You'd go. That's a cauldron of hell. They're actually really, really vocal when they're up for it. And it seems mm. whenever we're in town, it's a really intimidating stadium to be in. And when we've often gone there with one up top, well, I think my memory serves it that we've gone with one up top. They get on the front foot, and their crowd are ready for it. And we get pushed deep. I think we put t- two up front. We we uh, we give them something to think about, which we haven't in recent what's a, years. What's a reasonable expectation for a result, John? What I mean, because the point about this is that normally, in the grand scheme of things, I'd be half tempted to say a point's not a bad result but given the way the league table's going it does appear that if Liverpool don't win weekend this weekend there's likely to be a situation wherein there's a top three that are moving away yeah. and then we're in a scrap for fourth and um, Everton and Tottenham have got real nice games this weekend as well so we could find ourselves six when we start I think it's a, it's a real big game to win 
if if we do win it um you know in terms of it's it, it'll be it'll probably, probably be our best away win of, of the season you would would say you know i mean tottenham was great in terms of performance but they were re- really struggling at the time has been shown by how they've done since and so i think and also because of how we've done there, I think it'd be a huge mark. I think it'd give us huge confidence if we can go there and win. So it, 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 it is the biggest game for 20 years. Yeah, it's a big one for Steve Peters, isn't it? You know, because, you know, <laughs> ultimately, you, you, football matches are, you know, do exist in a vacuum, uh, unlike what we were talking about before. They should do at least. And we've got to, we've got to cast aside that sort of mental weakness about going to the Britannia. Um, the Stoke City, you know, they're, they're not in a, a relatively lowly position in the league for no particular reason. We can get at them. We've got far more quality out, uh, than them. And really speaking, in, in you know, in the context of the league and the way it's panning out, we do need three points. Okay, very very quick prediction from each of you, Rob. Just the scoreline. Two one. Liverpool. Yeah. John. Three two Liverpool. Excellent stuff, Mike. I'm two one. Two one Liverpool myself. Well. Uh, uh, this is the Anfield Wrap. See you next week. Goodbye. The Anfield Wrap brought to you by High Street Solicitors. Keep one hundred percent of your compensation. Call two zero three twelve sixty eight to claim your two hundred pounds cash advance. Terms and conditions apply.